Please pray with me. Lord, I thank you for the reminder that you are for us in the day-to-day of life, in the moments that can be lost, especially when you press in on us in good ways, but when you cut to the heart of us. And Lord, as we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount, you go from the surface to the core of who we are. And you set the standard extremely high. And you touch on sensitive parts of who we are. And Lord, it makes it very easy for us to shut down, take a step back, block you. And so Lord, as we come to your word again today, I ask that you would help us to not do that. Remind us that you are for us. And what you are doing in us is for our good, to bring life and joy in our lives here, in the relationships around us, and to bring glory to your name, both now and forever. So I ask that as we enter into your scripture, that you would take us there and remind us. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So today's passage is Matthew 5, 31 to 32. It was also said, this is Jesus speaking, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Thank you, Jody. Well... I drew the short straw this week, folks. (laughs) David totally weaseled his way out of this one. Now, I'm totally kidding. Uh, Seriously, seriously. As we mapped out, you know, every section that we would be preaching on every week, this is just where we landed today. Um, But this is also a weekend that David and Jen really needed to travel to be at a memorial service for a dear friend. And he was just a little concerned that it, it was probably too much of a risk to potentially not get back. They did end up getting back late last night, so we're glad for that. Um, but the point is, you're stuck with me this morning. Um, but that being said, if David were up here, he would be preaching the same thing. So whether it's David or me preaching on any given Sunday, I can assure you that we are seeking to preach and teach the scriptures as accurately and as faithfully as possible. And we make sure that we're able to back each other 100%, which honestly is a huge comfort to me. So basically what I'm saying is that if you don't like the message today, you can email David. It's D-A-V-I-D <laughs> at fourmile.org. Okay, good. You're welcome. All right, before we go any further, I don't see David Duff. There's David Duff. I think David Duff had our football for us this, this past week. Yes, yes, yes. And so we're going <laughs> to... Thank you, David Duff. Amen. Oh, oh. Yeah! <laughs> oh, my. Okay. Yes, we have been a church that has been committed to the fundamentals for over 200 years, and I assure you that that is never going to change. So for the last two weeks, our other David, (laughs) David Lyle, uh, has walked us through the first two antitheses of murder and adultery. And those, of course, were drawn directly from the Ten Commandments. In his sermon, Jesus effectively removes our ability to simply keep an obedience list, right? Never committed adultery, check, 
never murdered anyone, check. We like checklists, don't we? Because they're cut and dry. And honestly, they, they help us feel good about ourselves. But Jesus takes it beyond a checklist, beyond our outward behavior by emphasizing what is happening in our hearts and minds. And that is where every one of us at some time or another is guilty as charged. Today, however, the antithesis that we're going to be looking at wasn't taken directly from the Ten Commandments as much as it was an implication that was drawn from the law. It was addressing a concession that Moses had given due to a situation that was getting out of control. So these verses today, just like the ones David preached on last week, they're a perfect example of why we are confident that we must preach in a way that first seeks to uncover the original historical and cultural context of a particular passage of Scripture, and only then apply that intended meaning or principle to our current context. So typically that involves going verse by verse, just like we're doing as we work our way through Matthew 5 through 7. We are confident that that kind of preaching is critical. It's foundational for making fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Because when we aren't committed to that, I am telling you, we will absolutely avoid the hard topics, the ones that aren't popular, the ones that make us really uncomfortable because they confront, challenge, and convict us. And, in, and you know, there, there are a few oddballs out there, I get it, but most of us don't really like being confronted, challenged, or convicted, but we need to be. It's good for us, and that is why we are committed to being a church that pursues truth, no matter what. And that truth is found in the words, the works, and the person of Jesus Christ. So as you've heard us say many times over the past several months, we are going to love one another to preach the truth, to teach truth, to exhort one another in truth, because Jesus taught us that that is the path to freedom. Even though it often doesn't feel like freedom, even when it isn't comfortable, even though it seems to cost us at times, truth is, in fact, priceless. It's what our souls are made for. We understand that divorce is complex. It's controversial. It's emotional. But as much as we may want to skip over these verses today, church, we can't. John Stott wrote, there is almost no unhappiness so poignant as the unhappiness of an unhappy marriage, and almost no tragedy so great as the disintegration of what God meant for love and fulfillment into a relationship of bitterness, discord, and despair. The truth is that there's not a single person in this room today who hasn't been touched by the devastation of divorce in one way or another. Not one of us. We have either been the one divorced, or our parents were, or are, our siblings, friends, kids. I don't need to tell you that unfortunately, it's everywhere. I met with a good friend several weeks ago, and though it happened years ago to this very day, her heart aches 
with what the divorce of her parents has done to their entire family. But this is what I want everyone listening, whether you're in this room or online, I want you to hear before we go any further. God loves you very, very much. And praise God, his love for us is not based on what we have or haven't done, good, bad, or ugly. He loves you. He longs to redeem and restore every every last inch of your life, no matter who you are, no matter your story. Please know that. Today's sermon, no sermon ever at Four Mile Church is about casting judgment, not ever. It is always about loving God and loving one another enough to pursue truth. We want to be set free by aligning our hearts and our lives with God's. So let's read again our verses for today. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So last week, David described what he calls the sin spiral. So we may start at truth, but because all of our hearts have been marred by sin, that's that doctrine of total depravity that we've been talking about the past several weeks, we begin to ever so easily distort things over time, even if it's just little by little. Before we know it, we find ourselves spinning further and further away from that straight edge of truth. That's definitely where we find ourselves today in our culture, and that's exactly where the Pharisees found themselves as well. So as we consider our text, the first thing I want us to note this morning is that the Pharisees were preoccupied with the grounds of divorce. Jesus was concerned with the institution of marriage. So we learned a few weeks ago that Jesus didn't come to undo or do away with any of God's revealed requirements, purposes, or plans in the Old Testament. Rather, Jesus came to give full obedience to them. And it's in this sermon that he explains what that full obedience looks like. Our righteousness is to go far beyond our outward behavior. It is to penetrate and transform our hearts by the power of the indwelling spirit who is given to us through our faith in Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. Matthew actually records another conversation that Jesus had with the Pharisees about divorce in chapter 19. And there we see that Jesus went right back to Old Testament scripture, which he does over and over again throughout his entire ministry. Another clear confirmation that all scripture is God-breathed, and we cannot ignore one word of it from beginning to end. And Jesus did, in fact, go all the way back to the beginning. He reminded them of the creation of humanity as male and female in Genesis chapter 1, as well as the institution of marriage in Genesis chapter 2. Jesus literally quoted the words penned by Moses that a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It's clear from Genesis 
that the biblical definition of marriage is that it is a divine institution between one man and one woman who become one flesh until death separates them. It's very straightforward. The second thing I want us to understand this morning is that the Pharisees called Moses' provision for divorce a command, but Jesus called it a concession to the hardness of human hearts. In the law as given to Moses by God, the punishment for adultery was the death of both guilty parties. That was well known and understood among the Pharisees. Really, it was well known and understood among all the Jews. So imagine that a person found out that his or her spouse had had an affair. The offending party was to be stoned to death, along with the person with whom he or she had the affair. No one questioned that the innocent person who was left was subsequently set free from that broken covenant of marriage. They were, in fact, married until death separated them. But the ending of the marriage was no fault of their own, and they were then free to remarry. However, in that culture and at that time, men generally had a very low, very poor view of women. And that's no doubt a consequence of the fall. Part of the curse is that women were no longer in equal partnership with men, but became subject to them. So slowly over time, and that's that sin spiral that we were talking about, husbands began to believe that they could divorce their wives for any and every kind of frivolous reason. If she burned his food, if he didn't like the way that she looked anymore, if she didn't take the garbage out, I mean, whatever. What ended up happening was that women were being grossly mistreated, and unfairly cast aside, which also led to incredible suffering for their children as well. The reality for women in that day and age was that they had no standing on their own, single or married. They were virtually entirely dependent on either their original family, father, brothers, or their husbands. Women simply couldn't survive on their own. Something had to be done in an effort to address the egregiousness of what far too many men were doing to their wives by casting them aside. That was when Moses instituted that a woman at least be given a certificate of divorce. So certainly an effort to rein in the frivolous excuses for divorce Requiring that a man provide his wife with a certificate was also intended to protect her because many would assume that she had committed adultery but had somehow escaped the death penalty. If she had a certificate saying that she wasn't an adulteress but was rather dismissed for some very specific natural or moral or physical defect, it could very well have saved her life. Moses requiring a certificate of divorce was intended to bring some sort of order to a horribly out-of-control situation in which countless innocent people were suffering. But listen, the concession that Moses gave was never meant to make it easier to get a divorce, but to simply emphasize how serious a matter it was. It was never a step to be taken lightly in an emotionally charged moment when a man suddenly decided that he didn't like his wife anymore and wanted to get rid of her. 
Make no mistake, divorce was never the way it was intended to be. In the conversation Jesus had with the Pharisees in Matthew 19, he got to the heart of the issue when he said, it was because of your hardness of heart Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. So yes, divorce was permitted, but it was never commanded. It was never God's intention. It was only a concession because of our sinful hearts. But that's not how it was meant to be. Stott asserts that even the divine concession was in principle inconsistent with the divine institution. The third point I want us to note together is that the Pharisees regarded divorce lightly. Jesus took it so seriously that with only one exception, he called all remarriages after divorce adultery. Recall Jesus' exact words in the sermon. I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. As we've established in weeks past, Jesus is the only one who is able to authoritatively and definitively interpret the law as it was meant to be understood and obeyed. It really seemed to be an assumption that divorce would result in remarriage because that's the only way that Jesus' statement makes any sense. But what Jesus is saying here is that to divorce one's partner and marry someone else is to enter into an adulterous relationship, even if it's legal from a human standpoint. In the eyes of God, the first husband and wife are still one. However, Jesus made one exception, sexual immorality. Sexual immorality can be defined as any type of sexual expression outside of the biblically defined boundary of marriage. One man and one woman who become one flesh for life. Last week, David talked about how sexual intimacy by God's design can burn hot within the fire pit of marriage, but anywhere else, its fires only bring destruction. Jesus said that the only time divorce is permitted is when two people who have become one flesh experience the severing of that covenant bond. That's it. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, Nothing is a cause for divorce save fornication. That's another word for sexual immorality. It does not matter how difficult it may be. It does not matter what the stress or strain or whatever can be said about the incompatibility of temperament. Nothing is to dissolve this indissoluble bond save this one thing. But I emphasize again that this one thing does our Lord himself says that this is a cause and a legitimate one for divorce. He himself tells us that unfaithfulness is a cause for divorce, and the reason for this is surely obvious. It is this question of one flesh again, and the person who is guilty of adultery has broken that bond and become united to another. The link has gone. The one flesh no longer exists, and therefore divorce is legitimate. Let me emphasize again, it is not a commandment, but it is a ground for divorce, 
And a man who finds himself in that position is entitled to divorce his wife, and the wife is entitled to divorce her husband. I believe this to be the only way to understand Jesus' teaching here. But I want to offer some additional thoughts that go beyond these specific verses. I believe that as we wrestle with this teaching, we must do it not only with the context of Jesus' whole sermon, but within the entire counsel of God's word. It's incredibly powerful that God very often used the metaphor of adultery to describe the unfaithfulness of his people to him. As a matter of fact, the prophet Hosea was a man who God called to love and forgive an adulterous wife many times over as a picture of how God will continually love and forgive his people. God's heart is for forgiveness, for restoration, for reconciliation. We see that again and again in his word. What he most longs for is our repentance, in order that our relationship with him and with one another might be made right. He longs to pour out compassion and forgiveness and hope. And if we are to be a people after God's own heart, should we not long for the same things? Even in the case of the most egregious human betrayal possible, that of breaking the marriage covenant. You know, Jesus was a masterful teacher. We've been breaking his sermon down into bite-sized pieces each week, but that makes it easy to forget that this entire sermon and these six antitheses specifically, they were all spoken at the same time, which means that we've got to work to remember the context. So remember with me. Not long before Jesus spoke of divorce, he was teaching his disciples about anger and murder. You know, we're usually most concerned with the very public sin of murder, right? But Jesus says, ah, ah, no. You are just as guilty if you're privately carrying around unresolved anger in your heart. You're a sinner who needs to repent. Jesus nailed all of us on that one. And then he went on to talk about the very public sin of adultery. But even if we've not created or committed this very public sin of adultery, when we've lusted privately in our own hearts and minds, we're guilty. We're sinners who need to repent. And so again, Jesus nailed all of us. And then he goes on to divorce. Again, which is a very public result of what's already privately happened first in our hearts. But it's important to remember or, and to see that Jesus wasn't calling any one person or sin out as worse than another. He was using all of these examples to show us that whether our sin is public or private, we are all adulterers. We are all murderers. We have all broken the law. And we are all desperately in need of God's grace and forgiveness. So we're actually going to have a, a moment here. I'm going to come back and say a few words after our response time. But 
for our response time, we're actually going to have those first three antitheses cycle through the screens behind me. And as the band plays, I simply want to encourage you to open your hearts and your minds to the convicting and healing light of God's word. Allow the Holy Spirit's kindness lead you to repentance. Lay your burdens down. Receive God's forgiveness and revel in his grace. skipping over these verses this morning. We have no doubt made every person in this room probably uncomfortable in some way or another. But we must allow ourselves to be exposed to God's living and active word. But as we do, we must also remember this. Anger is not an unforgivable sin. Murder is not an unforgivable sin. Lust, adultery, divorce, not unforgivable sins. Every single person in this room listening online has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you are sitting beside someone who perhaps hasn't sinned in the same way that you have, You are nonetheless sitting beside a sinner in desperate need of God's grace, just like you, just like me. Do you see what good news the gospel truly is? We are all born dead in our sin, and as a result, 
We are all, publicly or privately, walking squarely down that dark path toward eternal destruction. But Jesus came to our rescue by dying on the cross, suffering God's wrath for our sin in our place. And through faith, that red dot of Jesus' blood and Jesus' blood alone covers over all of our sin. He washes us clean. And he then gives us his Holy Spirit, who for the rest of our lives here on this earth sanctifies us and empowers us to walk that narrow path, which is the path of incredible freedom, living hope, inexpressible joy, and eternal life as heirs of the kingdom of God. There's a story in John chapter 8 about a woman who had been caught in adultery. And she was dragged by the Pharisees without the man with whom she had committed the adultery, I might add. But the Pharisees dragged her before Jesus and they asked him if this woman should be stoned because of her very horrible and public sin. Do you remember what Jesus said to them? He said, and I quote, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And one by one, every single one of them walked away. Why? Because they were all sinners just like her. Has no one condemned you? Jesus asked her. No one, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Friends, we are all in the same boat. My sin may be different from yours, but it is just as serious. None of us can cast stones at anyone else. Jesus has removed the shame of ever having to wear a scarlet letter for this, that, or the other thing. He is about forgiveness and brand new life in and through him. So what does this mean for you if you have been divorced? What does this mean if you're now remarried, if you're single, if you're married and never been divorced? Well, wherever you are today on that spectrum, for whatever reason you find yourself there, know that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Repent where necessary. And I guarantee that every single one of us has sin for which we need to repent. Receive his grace. Align your heart and life with his word and then go and sin no more. Be faithful. Be true to your word. That's, Jesus is going to talk about that right next in his sermon. We're going to talk about it next week. Honor the covenant of marriage. By his power at work within you, resolve to walk in freedom and joy and obedience from here on out. 
I know there are hurting people here today. Whether in-house or online, I, I know that there are marriages that are struggle, struggling under the weight of pain and brokenness. I would imagine that there may be some in this room who need and want help, but maybe you're wondering about a specific scenario about which I haven't directly spoken. Unfortunately, there really isn't a one-size-fits-all way to address every potential circumstance in a setting like this. But David and I want you to know, we want to encourage you as strongly as we can to please come and talk with us if you're one of those people. We want to do all we can to come alongside you with biblical counsel and support. Be encouraged today, church. God forbid that there should be anyone who feels that he or she has sinned himself or herself outside of the love of God or outside of his kingdom because of adultery or divorce or any other sin. No. If you truly repent and you realize the enormity of your sin and you cast yourself upon the boundless love and mercy and grace of God, you can be forgiven and assured of pardon. I don't care who you are, that is the best news ever. And so church, would you stand and would you sing with us, rejoice this morning in the fact that we can leave all of our sin, all of our shame at the foot of the cross. The Father is in this room today and he has love and grace to pour out on every single one of us.